The vision to possess the nations rests on the vibrancy of the local church. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he hinted that the church is going to have an opposition in the devil. So if the church is going to have an opposition in the devil himself, then the church must be built to be strong. We must remember that the church has been anointed for a purpose. The church must be an advancing church. The church militant to the stand and when they get to where the gates is, the gates will open to it. This is where real practical ministry and congregational life exists. As Christians, we must be upright and whole. We must work towards meeting God's standard. Because for God, he will never lower his standard. Our members are our greatest resource and in their strength, we find strength. Rouse the warriors. Cause them to stop sleeping in the nations, in the churches. Some are sleeping. Others are in slumber. Cause them to stop sleeping. Welcome to Pentecost Hour, a religious broadcast of the Church of Pentecost that seeks to strengthen the local church through the word and prayer to be strong, cohesive, and impactful. Pentecost Hour, God's timely word for our dying world. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty for you. May the Lord send rain to your land in season and to bless the works of your hands. May the Almighty bless your ministry. You will lend to many, but you will not borrow from anyone. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. You always be on top, never at the bottom. May the Lord bless you with an unquenchable test for eternal things. May you may the Lord fill your heart with holy zeal, and may He teach you His fear. In Jesus' name. Raising family altars to strengthen the local church. Lessons from the Puritans. Yesterday we started discussing the ideals the Puritans set before their marriage partners. I left the sixth one. And the last one. So it will be a link between today's and yesterday's. So we'll take then number six of the ideals the Puritans set before their marriage partners. And the sixth one is to help one another to bear their burdens such as poverty, crosses, sickness, dangers, and to comfort and support each other. They help one another to bear their burdens, such as poverty. You don't leave the man when he loses his job. There are crosses. There are certain challenges that you need to carry. So you help your wife carry her challenge. You help your husband carry the challenge. Even in sickness, please, don't desert your partner. In dangers, Share their fears and to comfort and support each other. 
help one another to bear their burdens. In marriage, we share the good and the bad. We bear one another's burden. It is this mutual sharing of love and burden and the drive for couples to support one another's salvation that flows into the Puritan's understanding of family life. To the Puritan, family is more of an extended model in contrast to the nuclear family. The Puritan had a broader view of family. Family was not only limited to the core members of parents and children. It included all the seven elderly relatives being looked after and all other members of the household. I want you to hold this one. Because when we are talking about the church, it is the household of God. And so when we are talking about family, we are talking about the household. There are other two very important views of the Puritan so far as family is concerned. The Puritan had two other views of family. Apart from the fact that the family is an extended one. For the Puritan, family is a calling. Family life is a calling. And it is also seen as a church and a seminary. Let me touch on family life as a calling. The Puritan held that marriage and family life is a calling. It is a call to be a husband and father, wife and mother. They believe that one is called to marry and to have children as God's way of maintaining the human race. And within that race, maintaining also the church of God. As part of their calling, parents were expected to teach their children obedience to God and to themselves, the parents. As part of our calling, you have to teach your children obedience to God and to yourselves. Puritans believed that children were also called. They were to be taught that they were called to be obedient to their parents and masters and to do what they command them in the Lord. That is how high they set their standards. To the extent that they should teach their children that they are called to be a child. So, obey God, obey us, obey your masters. Puritan's view of life as calling was expanded to other areas, such as their domestic life, that is what they do at home, and their public life. So, if someone is a lawyer, he sees his occupation as a call. If you're a businessman, you have to see that as a call. God has called you into that business. So you do it as doing it unto the Lord. So that you take that space as a ministry advantage. As an advantage for ministry to bring people into the kingdom. I pray that this understanding will be driven home to every member of the church. So that when they dress up as nurses, they should know that being a nurse is a call. So as a result, the Puritan expected the generality of their members to be the best in all human endeavor. The best husbands, best wives, best children, best masters, 
best servants, best magistrates, best subjects, best pastor, best of mommy, best everything. What a standard. In so doing, the doctrine of God might be adorned and not blasphemed. Let's look at Titus 2, verse 10. Or let's say, let's start from 9. Titus 2, from verse 9 and 10. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. To try to please them, not talk back to them. They were slaves also in the church. And not to steal from them. Teach but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. We need to teach our members so that in every way, wherever any church or Pentecost member is, the teaching of Christ will be attractive because of their way of life. Now let's turn to the family as a church and a seminary. The entire household is seen as a community of believers who have accepted Jesus as Lord. The entire household. So, as for the Puritans, they saw everyone as a brother. Everyone is a brother. Now, Jesus said, when we are praying, we should say, our Father in heaven. So he was telling the disciples that he, together with them, have a Father in heaven. And so, we representing the disciples simply mean that we and Christ, we have a Father in heaven. So, when you marry a sister in Christ, you have effectively married your sister. And so, my wife Mary has given her life to Christ. And God is her father. And that same God is my father. So we have to see ourselves as brethren in the Lord. And then when a servant who stays with us gives her life to Jesus, she becomes also a sister or a brother. So you have to treat your servants well because we are all families of the household of God. Now, treat your drivers well. Treat them well. Your driver is your brother in Christ. They are part of your ministry. Treat them well. Whoever finds space in your home is a brother or sister. Whoever finds space. John chapter 20, verse 17. I want us to read that one. John 20, verse 17. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers. Look at the expression. Because God is his Father. Why is he saying brothers? And tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father. To my God and your God. Pray that God will open heavens for us to understand. That whoever is in our household who has accepted Jesus as Lord, is a brother and a sister. So when you marry your sister, don't beat her. 
there was a high expectation from the parents of the Puritan family. Especially the father, when viewed against the Puritan's ideal of the family as the seminary of church and state, where children were well principled. Now, they didn't just see the, the seminary as just for the church, it is also for the state. So what they are doing is this. They are raising people for the church and they are raising people for the state. We need to intentionally raise people to occupy the political space. So we can have people who will serve God and this nation with Christian principles and change the narrative. So when people come to church, don't let us just be targeting for them to become elders. Let's target for them to become Ministers of states. We need to raise them for the state and raise them for the church. The word church lends itself to a lot of interpretation. But in the context of our study, the church includes children, servants, helpers, elderly relatives, and whoever dwells in the home are considered brothers and sisters in the Lord. I want you to just cast your mind to your home. That lady who is staying with you, how do you treat her? If she has accepted Jesus as Lord, then please consider her as one of you. The family church had the husband as its pastor and the wife as the assistant pastor. So those of us who are here will have no excuse. Even to the Puritan, those who were not clergymen, the husband is supposed to be the pastor in the home because they saw the household as a church. And then the wife is supposed to be the assistant pastor. So in our case, when we wake up in the morning and there is no devotion, in the evening there is no devotion, and then when the husband calls the wife for prayer, the wife will say, Bow there. then we, we can't have any excuse. We will have no excuse. There should be no body in our home. Yeah. But the reason why I needed to start with this family thing is this. When the two of you are not on good terms, sorry to say that, you cannot call for family devotions. Who are you going to call? Because your wife will not follow you. You're also afraid of the man. Whom are you going to call? Who is going to be the pastor and who is going to be the assistant? Pray that God will help us. The home of the Puritan was also seen as the first seminary. The Puritans saw the family as a seminary of a church and a state where children were to be well principled. This is instructive because the family as a seminary, the spiritual formation of children and the other members of the family are prioritized. And this was beneficial to the health of both the family and the state. So they saw it as a seminary where spiritual formations of young people and the people in the house were done. Within this context of the church being a seminary, 
the husband pastor was responsible to channel the family into religion to take them to church on the Lord's day. Oversee the sanctifying of that entire day in, in the home. And catechize the children and teach the faith. Now when we say you are being like a catechist, you do that orally. You teach just by asking questions and all that. They didn't expect them to be so sophisticated to be going into the Bible and then bringing, but at least the questions and answers was enough. To teach the children their faith, to examine the whole family after each sermon, to see how much had been retained and understood, and to fill any gap in understanding that might remain. Now, you lift your head, please. So we have closed from church. Then when we come home, he's saying that the Puritan will not just put his bag in the room and then some mommy rushes to the kitchen. And then the pastor rushes to visit somebody. I don't know. But the two of them, the pastor and the assistant pastor, will hold the hands of their children they pray, they sit, and then the catechists start asking questions. How did you get the message today? How did you? And then this boy will say that, what this man said, I really didn't understand. He says, if he says, I didn't understand, the pastor, husband, should supply. Try to help the child to understand. Compare that to what we do. When we even come back from church, the pastor, pastor, will not even kneel down and say, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to go to church today. We have preached your word. I pray that, Father, you pour your rains upon it. Let it find space in the heart of your people that it will yield 60 and 100 fold. Check that. When you go home from church, what do you do? So we take what has been done as some usual thing. So we just get home and everybody moves. We don't even say, Father, we thank you. Father, we pray. No. When we were in South Africa, we visited a place. And the people really surprised me. They really surprised me. This was a farm, very big farm. And this man is a Christian who has inherited the farm from his father who was a strong believer. They have built a house that can take about 10,000 people. And they feed about 1,400 people a day for free. Morning, afternoon, and evening. The farm is big. In fact, um... Most of the shops in South Africa will want them to supply the water they make on the farm, the yogurt and all that. So this man was taking us around. But this driver who was taking us around, if we, we have to leave from here to where uh, maybe our singers are, he will say, let us pray. And then when we get there, we will pray. So we have been praying, son. 
praying. But you see, what interested me was the fact of the consciousness. The consciousness of prayer. And the consciousness of God. I was sent by the youth ministry to represent the church in Kenya for a seminar in 1997. I got there two days before the seminar started. So we were in the hotel. We were, eat, uh, we were just eating and sleeping. But any time that we went for lunch or supper, the food was the same. It was potato. So either fried or something potato. And those days, I was not used to this potato. So by the third day, I was, I was bored with potato. And then, there was this day that we had to go for lunch, and we asked this lady to pray. She was not from Kenya, but from Angola. She started praying in 1997. So started preaching She was praying. The prayer was for me too long. Pray, 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 pray. Then he said, Father, we thank you that you have given us the grace to find something to eat. Oh, people in Angola, Rwanda. When she started mentioning the names, those days there were war in all those regions. Through no fault of theirs, they are starving and some are dying. Then I opened my eyes. You, you have got potato, you don't want to thank God. And the lady is saying that some people are dying to no fault of theirs. So when she got to that place, I started responding, amen, amen, amen. You see, we, we, we have lost the God consciousness. You can be a pastor who has lost God consciousness. That is why sometimes you even find pastors saying that everything is not about prayer. What language, what, what is your interpretation of what you said? When we pray, we talk to God. So if you are saying that it's not about prayer, it means it's not about God. What is your interpretation of what you said? May we not lose the God consciousness. Let's set high standards. Let us be fanatics. Let people call us that. But we are fanatics of Christ. Let us be so. As long as we remain like children, heaven is our home. We are sure that we will go there. But sometimes... Maturity is that we are mature. Let's lose common sense and common sense in our baby. So let us be fanatics and let us love the Lord. Hmm. Are we together? Fine. I'm sure some of you are thinking. So he fills in the gap and then he leads the family in daily worship, ideally twice a day. And he sets himself as an example to the household. See, it is not enough to give birth. You need to raise them well. The caring is as important as giving birth. It's not important. It's just not enough. This is a responsibility the Puritan parents took serious. Now, unfortunately in our time, we do not approach family life the way they did. 
The occasion when father and mother will gather children around them and sing together and read a verse of scripture is just about unheard of. Morning and evening prayers was once an established institution in Christian homes, but it is sadly missing on our calendar of daily activities. As the number of domestic prayers decreased in our homes, so do our problems increase. There is no generation that has produced marriage books and has have marriage counselors. We have too many marriage counselors in Ghana. Sometimes you don't have even idea who they are. Anybody goes to school, learns about counseling, whether he's a Christian or not, you find such people counseling people on marriage because of the certificate they have. But you see, marriages in our, in our time, despite the counseling, keeps breaking, even Christian marriages. The witness is there. Let us draw him into the things we do, and we shall have and then you will help us to hold it. I'm not against counseling, but I'm talking about the superior. The fact that we are seasoned and experienced Christians is not a guarantee that we shall succeed in parenting responsibilities. No. There were devout men of faith who lived in the biblical times who failed as parents. Samuel. I'll use him as an example. He was a great statesman, but a very poor parent. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8, 1 to 5. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1 to 5. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders, he did the appointment. Now let's move on. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of the second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gains and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Verse 4. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. Let's move on. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. You heard what the elders said. You see, if the sons of Samuel turn after dishonest gains, then maybe the children were not started off well. Because the Bible says, start off your children well. And when they grow, they will not depart from their faith. It could be that their training was not good. Or they never had any at all. Though Samuel served Israel well, it seems it was at the neglect of the home. His house was not a church and a seminary like the Puritan advocated. First Samuel chapter 7, verse 15 to 17, please. 
1 Samuel 7, 15 to 17. Samuel continued as Israel's leader, Israel's leader, all the days of his life. Look at how he's serving Israel. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gigal to Mizpah, dragging Israel in all those places. Now, the next verse, 17. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was, and there he also held courts for Israel. And he built an altar there to the Lord. So when he comes home, he also held court because he was a judge. And then he also has an altar. He was a priest. And then he will go around also judging the people. And he comes back to his station, Rama. Like a Pentecost pastor visiting assemblies and coming back home. When you come back, people are waiting for you to cancel them. There are issues to solve. Let's look at what happened. Maybe Samuel's busy shadows as a priest, judge, and a prophet of Israel could have been the reason he might have neglected his primary church and never made the home a seminary. It is expedient to God against being too busy, serving other interests to the detriment of our homes. Christ must be Lord of every department of our life. Now, let me try and open up this statement. It is expedient to guard against being too busy serving other interests to the detriment of your home. Christ must be Lord of every department of it. My interest here is that Christ must be Lord of every department of our life. I don't like people trying to prioritize things and what they are involved in. You hear people saying that our priority number one is God, and then priority number two is my family, priority number three is my job, priority number four is that. I don't think you have to be doing that. Because Christ must be Lord of every department that you are involved in. Don't say that my family comes before the church. No. Don't say that the church comes before my family. Put God in the church and in the family. Every, everything that you are involved in, God is interested in. So don't say that family first, church second. No. Oh, the man are first. Then yes, are second. Is that, is that what you are trying to tell us? But put Christ, everything, that, whatever your hands finds to do. The Bible says that do it with your strength. If your hands finds to leading your children, do it with your strength. If your hands finds to leading the church, lead it with your strength. So let God be the number one. Everything else should be number two. We should all treat, put God in everything we do. So that you don't have to say that because we are talking about Samuel, he neglected his home, I will pay attention and I will not go visitation. I had this video from abroad about one of, from, about one of our pastors. I think he was apparently annoying somebody in, the, in, the, in, in, in church. He was saying that they shouldn't compare him with the pastor who he came to take over from. 
Because he asked for him, he's a family, he's a family person. He has to go for the children, he has to do that, and so he doesn't have much time to be entering people's homes, and somebody got angry. And then the person forwarded the video to me. I mean, don't be saying these things. Learn to put God in everything you do. And balance it. As long as you have received the ministry to be a pastor, don't sit before your members and say that my children are number one. You are spiting them. Put Christ in everything you do. Samuel's children never followed his godly lifestyle. They turned after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Israel therefore rejected Samuel's children as judges. Though Samuel was displeased, it was too late for him to correct his children. And this is aptly reflected in Frederick Douglass' famous words. It is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. I've said this over and over again. It is easier to build strong children. But when they grow and you want to repair broken men, it will be difficult. This was a great mistake that should not be repeated in any Christian home. The case of Samuel provides a compelling reason for parents to be intentional in raising their children in the fear of the Lord. His example teaches that parents could be strong Christians, but if they are not deliberate in raising godly children, they would not have their children follow after Christ. No. In fact, brothers and sisters, despite all that we are talking about, children remains a great treasure for us. Our children are our greatest treasure. A heritage from God, a divine providence could be linked to how we raise them for the Lord as revealed in Genesis 18, 18 to 19. I'm interested in this verse, so please project it and let us interact with them. Genesis 18, from 18 and 19. Abraham will surely be a great and powerful nation. And all nations on earth will be blessed through him. Verse 19. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Can we read the next line? So that... Yeah. So he is going to teach his children what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. So his children, his children's behavior and how he raises them matters in how God's promises come to pass for him. Now, let me open up this one again. This one is going to be a negative example. But many times, negative example brings better understanding. You see, Samuel's case was very ironic. Uh, it's quite unfortunate because he was in the house of Eli when his children misbehaved. How could he not raise his children so that his children also turn after this honest game? This is going to be a long passage. First Samuel 2, from 27 to 30 says, 
Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your ancestors' family when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? The next verse. I chose your ancestors out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priests, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your ancestors' family and all the food, ancestors' family, all the food offerings presented by the Israelites. 29. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourself on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? Now, the next verse. You see, that this one begins with what word? Therefore, as a result... The Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promise that members of your family will minister before me forever. But now, the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me, I will despise. So God changes his mind concerning a promise he has made to them because of the behavior of Eli's children. He changes his mind. So children play the role or a role in how the promises of God for us will come to pass. Please take this into your spirit. Let's quickly jump to raising family altars. I will not worry myself trying to define altars. But let's go to the how to conduct a family altar or family devotion or house worship. Who leads the family devotion? The father pastor and the mother assistant pastor should lead the home church. All things being equal. All things being equal. Then, where the husband is diseased or incapable or is an unbeliever and therefore will not be able to lead, the wife who is a Christian should lead. In a case where there are no parents, the elderly sibling, or the most mature Christian amongst them can organize the home worship. Where do we begin from? Raising family altars is made easy when the father pastor and the mother assistant pastor have the habit of praying together. When they have the habit of praying together, bringing their children in is easier. When the two of them do not have that habit of praying together, bringing the children in becomes difficult. Have I communicated? Yes. Spouses may have a private and personal devotions, but beyond that, they should often meet to study the Bible and pray aloud unto God. This is one of the best means of improving marital health. Meeting together, studying the Bible together, and praying. I want to give you space to bow down your head at this point. And ask yourself, what do you do with your wife? Do you have home worship together as a family? Do you have family devotions? Do you even pray with your spouse? What do we do? 
May God strengthen us and help us. Amen. Lift your head, please, brothers. A marriage can be completely transformed when couples regularly set the, the, seek the face of God in prayer. Going day after day, week after week, month after month, without praying together has undermined many marriages in our generation. True? Yes. Below are some tidbits for conducting family worship. Now, so this one you can easily go through. And what I want to advise beyond going through the normal daily family worship. This, I think all of you know, you can even add more than what is here. But once a while, try and take the, the, the household to a retreat somewhere. Once a while, plan. Take them out to a retreat. You can just go to one of the churches. I'm not saying go out to Holland, but one of the churches. Just the church house and then pray. Spend the whole day there praying with your children. Once a while. Relating to distant grown-up children. There is a need to underscore at this point that even when children are grown up and are miles away from home, they need to be discipled. It doesn't matter how old the children are. Parents ought to check on their relationship with Jesus. Once that fellow can be called your child and you are still alive, check on their relationship with Jesus. And Paul and the Peters, they wrote letters to follow up on their spiritual children, their epistles. And contemporary uh, communication technology has even made this one simpler. So hook them on Zooms and then have some prayer meetings with them. It may not be daily because they are busy already with other things, but at least let them know that you still care about them. Once a while, once a month, connect with all your children, no matter how grown they are. Let their spouses come and join and teach them about Christ. Pray together. Now you can also find a good way of evaluating the family altar, the family worship, whether it is working. And the, the one of the cardinals that I want you to open your eyes to see, to check whether the family worship is working, is when there is transformation in their behavior and character. Check that one. So I will not go into that. But let me talk about the hindrances to effective home worship. A, bu- a busy schedule. This is where parents occupy themselves with so many obligations. And outside the home, at the expense of home worship. So be careful. Be careful. Those of us in Accra, when you are even late and you know that it was not traffic, your area head said, why are you late? Oh, area head, traffic. And see, all these things, the traffic does not give any excuse from raising your children well. So the busy shadows, please know that the greatest treasure that you have is your children. And because the church members are also your spiritual children, both are important. Then the next one, finding a convenient time. Normally, you not find a convenient time for everybody. So find one. Try and then find one. Poor spirituality of parents and guidance. When parents and guidance are, their spirituality is poor, it affects how they organize the home for family devotion. 
Fast life in the cities, I've said. Spousal conflict. When there is a challenge between the wife and the husband, would they organize home worship? Who is going to lead? Yes, so let's try and then make sure that we avoid such conflict. Poor relationship among members of the household. You see, this family devotion, please lift your head a bit. Uh, If your driver is in the house, let's say you are an area head and your driver also stays with you. The family devotion, your driver should be able to come. What if the two of you you are not fine? Who will go and call who? And so your, your maid servant is supposed to be part of it. So we need to work very hard at this one. Then competing interests and distractions. Like watching television. Nothing should compete the time that you have scheduled. You discipline yourself and make sure that the children come around. I will always wake up. Doesn't matter how old my children are. I will give them the benefit of staying up late and not coming to devotions late. So if you are meeting at 5.30 by 5, my friend, wake up. My friend, wake up. My friend, wake up. Wake up, wake up, sir. I will be have a Then I'll come back again. If for any reason I said wake up, you lifted up your head and you, you, you went back to sleep, then I will lift the head rather. Say, my friend, wake up. Yeah. I will make sure that you go. When we're children, we're kids. We carry them to the devotional grounds. Let them go and sleep there. At least Adam ever bore muscle. Leave nothing unturned, please. And then be a good example. You see, children who always follow somebody who is consistent with his lifestyle. When an unbeliever who doesn't care about Christ is drinking and beating their mother. The children will think that it is okay. But when you do it and you are calling them for devotion, they sit on the bed because they want to sleep. And then they lift their heads. Ah, this man who has been beating our mother. They don't trust that you have to be calling them for devotion. As for children, these things are in their mind. So be a good example. D.L. Moody once said, a man ought to live. Let's read this one together. A man ought to live so that everybody knows he's a Christian. And most of all, his family ought to know. His family ought to know. And then the parents and the guidance should be praying parents. Sometimes they leave school and you're alone in the house. Let your prayer protect and guard them. Protect and guard them. Let me conclude with two scriptures. Shall we rise to our feet, please? Two scriptures. How many of you have gotten something? Yeah. <laughs> Two scriptures. Please project the first one. This is from my friend Joshua. This statement he made, sometimes people will want to blame all the troubles of Israel on him. That he never chose a leader for them. What was the mandate of Joshua? Who knows the mandate of Joshua? Yes? Uh-huh. Yes? What was the mandate of Joshua? Yes, what was he supposed to do? When he take them to... To... Did he take the people? 
Did he share the land? Has he finished his job? He has finished his job. Don't let us blame him that he didn't choose. Once you're on the promised land, it is the tribal heads who are now supposed to manage the land. And all of us are on the promised land. Joshua did what he was supposed to do. He landed. He shared the land. But he still looked at these stubborn people. And then this is what he said. But if serving the Lord, shall we read, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors beyond the Ephraim or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So look at the biblical definition of family. It is always a household. We will serve the Lord. At least as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. First Chronicles 16, the last verse. The last verse. First Chronicles 16, the last verse should be 43. This one. I want the men to say it and the women to just listen. Then all the people left, each for their own home. And David returned home to bless his family. May we go back from here to bless our family. May we return home to be a blessing unto our household. In the name of God the Father, God the Son. And God, the Holy Spirit. Amen.